you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Last week, we launched into the section of Matthew known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Over the summer months, we're going to be walking through all of chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, uh, we kicked it off with the first five verses of what are known as the Beatitudes. Uh, We learned that that this sermon uh, of Jesus is the longest recorded sermon uh, of Christ in the Gospels. And that it's the closest thing we have to a a manifesto of Jesus. Uh, It's written as a portrait of what kingdom citizenship uh, is to look like. Um, And it's answering the question, what does a Christian's heart look like? Uh, What actions actually define a Christian? Uh, And there have always been kind of different sides, tug of warring, about what defines Christian conduct uh, versus what's simply cultural Christianity. Um, So, you know, on, on one side, don't drink, dance, or chew, or go with girls who do. Um, Or on the other side, you you have those who claim that because we're saved by grace, uh, all morality can get flung out the window. So, which is it? Well, neither. Uh, We we saw last week, and we'll see again this week, that while Jesus is going to, in fact, spell out some specific actions uh, of a Christian, uh, he's going to begin with postures of the heart. Uh, he begins with Christian character, uh, specifically character that, that doesn't happen on its own. Uh, it's character that's brought about by the new birth, by being born again and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, these Beatitudes, uh, as we saw last week and we'll see again the next couple of weeks, are not for the faint of heart. Uh, they're not easy and they don't happen uh, of our own strength or, or through just trying harder. They're produced by humble submission to Christ, uh, allowing him to work in us for his good pleasure. Uh, We uh, begin last week with a question that I want to return to once again this morning. What does it mean to be blessed? If you were going to list out eight characteristics of someone who's blessed, what would you list? Successful in the business world, maybe? Attractive? Athletic? Wealthy? Beautiful family? Gifted or talented in some way? Had Shannon just pull up on Instagram a couple of pictures that had hashtag blessed next to it on that. And these are, are some of the things that come up. Magnet for wealth, prosperity, and miracles. Big house, right? Um, God's setting you up for a miracle. What does it mean to be blessed? Uh, And not just in a superficial, surface kind of way. Happy to the fullest extent. Happy in the deepest sense. That's what what Jesus means when he uses this word blessed here in, in the Sermon on the Mount. What would make you a blessed person? We return to that question again today. 
And as we learned last week, how Jesus answers that question is is very, very, very different uh, than what we might expect. So let's dive into the text again. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read all 12 verses, but this morning we're going to focus specifically on verses 6 and 7. So Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven." For so they persecuted the prophets who were born, before, who were before you. Last week we examined the first three of these beatitudes in verses one through five, and this week, like I said, we're going to kind of meditate on verses six and seven. So, what does it mean to live a blessed life as a citizen of the kingdom of God? Jesus gives us two more answers to that question. And our two main points today are these. Uh, Number one, Christians starve for righteousness and pursue it in all of life. Number two, Christians are merciful and live lives of compassion. So jumping in in point one, Christians starve for righteousness and pursue it in all of life. Look with me at verse six. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Have any of you ever known what it's like to be hungry? Like, not, oh, I skipped breakfast, or uh, the constant, you know, I'm hungry line that most of of you moms hear from your kids 800 times a day. Uh, But truly, hungry. Like, haven't eaten in days hungry. Or, Or thirsty. Uh, genuinely parched. Most of us have have never known true hunger and thirst like that. But uh, the people of Jesus' day had. Uh, If you or I are hungry, we just go down to the store and get something. Or, Or we make a meal or have a snack with all of the food that we've got in our pantry. Well, not these people. Uh, They knew what it was like to actually be hungry and thirsty. And for that reason, this is the image Jesus uses here. He's saying, hey, uh, you guys know the feeling that you get uh, when you know you have to have food or water, uh, that if you, you know that you have to have that or you're going to die, you know what, that's fe- what that feels like. And he's saying, you're blessed if you hunger after righteousness in this way. A truth that I want us to see from the very beginning this morning is this. Just like we learned last week, just like being poor in spirit 
This beatitude actually acknowledges our own need of something. If you're full, you don't hunger. You don't thirst because you're already full. You already have food or drink. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is actually to acknowledge that you lack righteousness and that you need it. And this is the heart posture of a Christian. Not that we don't need anything, but that we need everything from God. A Christian heart is a heart that desires righteousness. And I want us to notice the counterintuitive kind of nature of this statement. We would expect Jesus to say, happy is the one or blessed is the one who seeks happiness. Happy is the one who seeks happiness. But that's not what he says at all. Instead, he says, happy is the one who seeks holiness or righteousness. And so I want to ask us the question, do we trust Jesus on this one? The world around us is screaming just the opposite of that. And so we've got to decide, do we trust Jesus on this one? The world tells us that to pursue righteousness means missing out on happiness. The world says, pursue money at all costs even unrighteously, and that that'll make you happy. Pursue sex outside of marriage, that'll make you happy. Pursue corporate success at the expense of others, even cutting corners to do underhanded deals, that'll make you happy. That's always the the rotten promise of sin, isn't it? Do this, and it'll make you happy. But Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you trust him? A righteous life is genuinely the best way to live. It's a blessed life. Now, I just want to kind of stop here and define what we're even talking about here. Righteous was a great 80s word, right? Especially in the surf and skate culture. Uh, Urban Dictionary, that amazingly reputable source, defines righteous like this, containing the best possible uh, attributable qualities. Oh man, that lasagna was righteous. Or it says, a state of extreme perfection bordering on divinity that bestows moral authority upon the subject. Dude, did you see Chuck Norris kick all those guys in the head? That was righteous. Hashtag excellent, awesome, good, super, amazing, righteous. Is that what we're talking about here? Not exactly. So let's define what we are talking about. Uh, Ligon Duncan says this. He says, righteousness means perfect conformity to God's law. Perfect conformity to God's will. Perfect conformity to God's character. It's to be like God. That's what a person is who is righteous, to be morally like him, to call the right right, the wrong wrong, and to do the right and to choose the right over the wrong. But another good definition, he says, of righteousness is when we recognize that things, uh, that things are as they ought to be, when things are as they were intended to be by God, 
then we can say that a state of righteousness has been attained. So this word righteous does carry with it at least three vital aspects that I want us to think about this morning. First, righteousness involves our relationship with God vertically. Because we're all descendants of Adam, there's not a single one of us who is righteous. Romans 3.10-12 through 12 says it this way, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. And no one does good. Not even one. It's a pretty bleak picture. And because there's no one righteous, our relationship with God is actually severed because he's perfectly righteous. So, do you hunger for a right relationship with God? That's what what Jesus is saying here. Second, righteousness not only means our, our, our right relationship with God, but it also means holiness before God. So, hungering for righteousness means longing for a life of obedience to God's commands, a longing for sanctification or a longing for growth in godliness a hunger and thirst to please the Father. So, do you hunger for right relationship with God? And do you hunger and thirst for holiness? Third, righteousness carries with it this meaning of rightness or even justice. So, uh, that's why we we read some of the scriptures we read this morning. That's why we prayed for, for acts of justice today. Righteousness carries with it the meaning of rightness or justice. You don't have to live long or even really be paying much attention today to know that we live in a broken world where things are not as they should be. So when you hear the word injustice, certain things might pop into your mind. Do you long for those kind of injustices to be made right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And here's the good news. So we learned last week that that each of these things that Jesus says that you'll be blessed if you have a heart posture like this, he then attaches a promise to it. He says this, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And here's the good news, for they shall be satisfied. First and foremost, our sin problem. The fact that that, that the scriptures tell us that we are unrighteous before God. Those who hunger and thirst to be made right before God will be satisfied. Through the cross of Christ, God has made a way for us to be satisfied. This word satisfied means full or content. The price has been paid fully for us to be made right with God, to be made righteous. Jesus not only hungered and thirsted for righteousness, but he was righteous in every possible way. And when we turn from sin and trust in him, his righteousness gets credited to us. His death absorbs God's wrath that we deserve, and we are declared righteous. While we hunger and thirst for it, it's not something that we can do ourselves, actually. 
This righteousness is all of grace and not from what we do. This righteousness is only because of what God has done in Christ. So those who who hunger and thirst for this righteousness will be satisfied. Even more, we're promised here that when we long for sanctification and holiness, that we'll be satisfied. While none of us will ever live lives of perfection this side of heaven, we can have confidence that our pursuit of holiness is not a waste of time. You're not stuck in your sin. You can put sin to death. But when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says, you will be satisfied. Third, we can know that one day, God's going to put all injustices right. Justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like ever-flowing streams, Amos 4 says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The world may tell you that, that living a life of unrighteousness is satisfying, but they have no clue. And in their more honest moments, they'll tell you that they aren't really satisfied. This right here in the scriptures is a portrait of a life of happiness in the deepest sense, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So I want to ask you this morning, if you call yourself a Christian, is this descriptive of you? If you call yourself a Christian, is this descriptive of you? In John chapter 4, Jesus goes out to this well and he begins talking with the Samaritan woman. And he asks her for a drink. And then he says this, John chapter 4, verse 10 through, through 14. He says this, if you knew, so he's speaking to the Samaritan woman. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then in verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, speaking of the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then a couple chapters later in John 6, verse 35, Jesus is speaking to this crowd and it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If you're not a Christian, we want you to know that that you can be made right with God this very moment by turning from sin and trusting in Christ. And we invite you to do that. You'll never be hungry or thirsty again. You'll be satisfied fully and completely in Christ. So Christians, they they crave or they starve for righteousness, and they pursue it in all of life. Second, Christians are merciful and live lives of compassion. Look with me at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I want us to notice that the first four Beatitudes are actually things that God does in our hearts. 
He, first and foremost, gives us a posture of complete dependence on him. We're poor in spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We mourn our sin. We stand before God meek, knowing that, that we deserve nothing, but that, that he's for us. Our hearts crave being right with God and his justice being fulfilled. Those are things that, that God does in our hearts. But here in verse 7, we begin to see the fruit of that changed heart. And this kind of seems backwards to us, right? Uh, most of us think that a blessed life is something with, with little or no troubles. You, you hardly ever see someone post on, on Instagram a photo of absolute trial with hashtag blessed next to it. But uh, hear what Calvin has to say about this verse. He, he says this. He says, The world reckons those who are blessed, those who are free of outside troubles, to attend to their own peace. But Christ here says that they are blessed who are not only prepared to put up with their own troubles, but also to take on other people's, to help them in distress, to freely join them in their time of trial, and as it were, to get right into their situation, that they may gladly expend themselves in their assistance. This is the fruit of a heart that the Spirit has changed and transformed. And let's just ask the question from the beginning. Why are Christians merciful? Well, because we've experienced mercy in its most full version. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, look at what Paul says. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We show mercy as Christians because we've been given so much mercy in the person and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Greek dictionary defines this word mercy like this, to show kindness or concern for someone in serious need. To show kindness or concern for someone in serious need. James Boyce says this, he says, mercy is grace in action. Mercy is love reaching out to help those who are helpless and who need salvation. Mercy identifies with the miserable in their misery. So a blessed life is a life that shows kindness or concern for someone in serious need. Blessed are the merciful. Consider uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 that Ross read earlier. There's this man who's half dead on the side of the road. Three different people pass by and don't do anything at all to help the guy. Then uh, the Samaritan comes and actually shows kindness for someone in serious need. That is what Christ has done for us. This is what we're called to do for others. This is a blessed life. If you're a Christian, ask this, this question of your heart this morning. 
Are you compassionate towards others in need? Are you compassionate towards others in need? Maybe it's a physical need. Maybe it's a psychological or an emotional need. Do you step into the mess and show mercy? Are you tangibly compassionate? This is what we're called to do as individual Christians. This is what we're called to do as a church together. In the the coming months, I'm going to be sharing with you one of many great ways for us to step into this realm uh, through an organization called Foster the Bay. Uh, While I'm not going to say a whole lot more now, uh, this organization, Foster the Bay, uh, they step in and they help churches kind of come alongside those who are fostering or adopting and really to, to kind of wrap them, wrap those families in Christ's love and mercy. Uh, I've got a a couple of cards that are back on the back table that can tell you a little bit more uh, about what they do. Uh, But but that's something that I really want us to prayerfully consider stepping into. Uh, Let's say a family decides to foster or adopt. Uh, Most of them aren't very well supported. Uh, It's a big step for them to say yes to that in the beginning. Uh, And the stats are actually staggering how many people are called one and done that they do it once and then they never do it again because it's so hard. Well, we want to come alongside those people as the church and, and put a minimum of four families with each, each family that decides to foster or adopt, to come alongside them and help them and pray for them and provide tangibly for those families. What would it look like for us to be a church that's known around Santa Cruz for our compassion? What if that was the worst thing that they could say about Santa Cruz Baptist Church? They'd say things like, I don't necessarily believe in Jesus yet, but man, those people are compassionate. If this is resonating with you, I'd love to chat about how you might be able to get involved more in these ways. Uh, You know that we've been very active with mission teams doing mercy ministries in places like Ride a Wave or Homeless Garden or or downtown at Pacific Avenue. Uh, But but I want us to be more intentional as a local church with our our local people here. Uh, Maybe God's calling you to, to help us run with that ball. What would it look like for us to be merciful to God's people? What would it look like for us to be merciful to those outside the church? Showing kindness and concern for someone in serious need. That's what mercy is. We're called to be merciful in the realm of physical and emotional needs. But we're also called to be compassionate in the realm of greatest need. Not physical or emotional, but spiritual Are you compassionate enough to tell them the good news? This is their greatest need. And the most merciful thing you can do is to tell them about Jesus. If someone has an incurable disease and you have the cure, do you see how blessed you are to get to show mercy? That's what Jesus is saying here. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Before closing, I want to make one more brief comment. 
it's easy for us to, to read that sentence, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy, and, and to kind of come away thinking that, that this is a causal relationship. In other words, if I show mercy to people, that's going to cause God to be merciful to me. And that's not exactly what's being said. Uh, That would actually contradict all of Scripture and Jesus' own clear words elsewhere. Uh, That would actually abolish the doctrine of grace. We'd be getting something because we deserve it, uh, not because we we don't deserve it. Uh, As with all the other Beatitudes, this is actually a painting of kingdom citizenship. Uh, A real Christian is merciful. That's a characteristic of a true real Christian, that they're, they're merciful. A real Christian can cling to the promise that they shall receive mercy. That we show mercy because we know that we've been shown mercy. This is the fruit of a heart that's been transformed by a merciful God. And a Christian can cling to that promise to know that they will receive mercy. So what does it mean to be a blessed person in the fullest sense of the word? hungering and thirsting for righteousness and living a life of merciful compassion. That's a portrait of the blessed life. Let's pray.